welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. In fifth grade, you can stay up here and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. And you can pull out your bulletin as well and follow along. We are going through a series on prayer. And we are coming to a section of Scripture where it tells us that we... It's going to tell us three things this morning, what we're going to be looking at. We're going to see here in the Bible how Jesus tells us that we don't need to be fruitless in our spiritual lives. Fruitless means he came to a fig tree, which we're about to see, and it had these leaves, and leaves were indicating on the outside that there should be some fruit. You should see something when you see a fruit tree. You, you, want, to, you want a bite to eat. And he came to that fig tree, and there was no figs on the fig tree. Then Jesus went to church. He goes to church, and it was a business. People were buying and selling. They were making money. They were preoccupied about other things than the worship of the Lord. Church is about God. It's not about us. And Jesus got angry that worship was being robbed and stolen from his father. So we see, we're going to see here, he starts basically running everybody, making a big mess, throwing tables over, money was flying all over the place. And he had this zeal, this passion for the word of God. And he says, my house should be a house of prayer. And then we're going to see here where Jesus talks about prayer. And he's going to tell us that we can move mountains. Now, obviously, he's not literally talking about a mountain. Maybe you have a mountain in your backyard or a big hill or something. And you don't want it there because it blocks your nice view. He's talking about things in your life that seem impossible. Obstacles that are incredibly challenging. And things that you have been desiring and wanting to see. A healing, maybe a a relationship problem, maybe a broken marriage, whatever it would be. Something that you say, "I, I can't fix this. God, it's too much. And the Lord is saying, you trust me, you pray to me, you ask to me, and I will help you move mountains. He's going to show us that it is possible to move the seemingly impossible in our lives. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. All three of these have to do with asking God. You know, Jesus, Jesus, if you could sum up Jesus' teachings on prayer, you could really just bring it down to one word. And the word is ask. He's looking for His people, you and I, if we're saved, to ask God. Now, so you and I saved. The Bible tells us that we, if you are saved, you are a believer. Meaning you are a child of God. You have received the inheritance You identify with Him. You are a son. You're a daughter. And you're you're asking. He wants us to come and ask us. Just like parents and grandparents. We want to give our children and grandchildren things and stuff. You want to please them. Even your animals. You want to give them the best, what they have, the best food. There's just this desire to make your children or your grandchildren or even your pets happy. You have that ability to do that. And we have a heavenly Father that has the same way. He's looking for His children, us as child and men and young women of God, and saying, just, just ask. But when we fail to have any type of prayer life or ask, 
We're, we're, trying, we're saying, God, I can do it on my own. I, I can handle this. And, and the Bible tells us that is what we call a lack of faith or a lack of belief in the Lord. And it's sinful because it's a, it's a reliance upon ourselves that I can get through this on my own without the power of the Lord. So follow along here in your Bible. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. This is about this fig tree. God's Word says, The next day, now we had just entered Jerusalem, so this is Jesus' last week on earth. The next day, they went from Bethany, which is outside Jerusalem, went out from Bethany, and he's, he's, he's hungry. So obviously Jesus is hungry. And they might not have had the restaurants that we have today. So their restaurant's a tree. So seeing in a distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. Now, Jesus knew, and everybody knows, if a tree's starting to put leaves on it, it's starting to get that time, the springtime, because we knew this is about the time he's about to be crucified. We're approaching Passover. It's the spring. Leaves are starting to come up. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Oh, look, here's a tree with leaves on it. Let me go grab some figs. I don't eat figs. The only ever figs I've ever had is a fig newton. But I don't even eat those anymore. But I used to eat fig newtons. Do those have figs in them? Nobody knows. Does a fig newton? Vivian says they do. So, Vivian, do you eat fig newtons? So there we go. All right, so you go eat your, your fig newt and you're hungry. Well, that wouldn't obviously be what we wouldn't want to eat, but when you're hungry, you, you, you get what you get. So you're walking up to this fig tree, and the Bible says here in verse 13, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. I mean, it was a little early. I mean, something's wrong right here. It's start, starting to be springtime. It's not quite fig season. But this, this tree, look, follow me on this, is indicating that it's going to have maybe an early crop. That there's maybe an early harvest because the, the leaves are starting to come out. And Jesus is expecting to see something. So understand why I'm following here. The tree is indicating that I've got some fruit. But then when you walk up to the tree, you realize, as Jesus says, there's nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. That's a slogan, a statement right there. That means it's empty. That's what we would call today hypocrisy. Hypocrisy it's indicating one thing. It's as someone with a mask on. You're giving the appearance that you're a fig tree with leaves and you look like it. But then when you get up closer, you can see that there's nothing there. Nothing but leaves. It's a fake. There's no, no fruit. There's a spirit of fruitlessness with this tree. So Jesus does something here. He makes a statement, and we could, many folks, many Bible, many uh, folks that maybe don't, don't believe in the authority of the Bible, as we prayed over, they actually criticize Jesus on this statement. 
Because they said, okay, the, it's, not fig, it's not fig season. So why would Jesus say this in verse 14? And he says in verse 14, He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. He basically cursed the tree. He saw this tree that had leaves only, looking like it's going to produce an early harvest, early fruit, but it's fruitless. And he says, you know what, tree? Poor tree, no one's ever again going to eat a piece of fruit from you. This is the only time we see Jesus cursing a tree. But he did that. You remember, he is God. And he was hungry. A lot of times when you're hungry, you might say or do some things. You're just, you're, you're, you want a meal, and you're, you're anxious for it. And the tree didn't produce what it wanted. It's like going to a restaurant, and they walk up, and after you've been waiting and waiting, say, well, sorry, we ran out of food. They said, well, I've been wasting all my time waiting for this, and there's no food. It's like, it's like going to the kitchen on Wednesday night fellowship dinner, and you're walking through, and they say, we just ran out of food. And you're, you're hungry for that. Nothing but leaves. You indicate something, but there's nothing there. Jesus cursed this tree. There's two meanings behind what he's doing here. First of all, he's showing that hypocrisy represents many of the Jewish leaders and the Jews during that time. Because the religious leaders, those that are about to arrest him, those that are leading the temple, those that are leading worship, there's nothing but leaves. They're in it for a business. They're there to make money. They're there to show this outward sign. They're what Jesus called a whitewashed tomb. On the outside you look good, but inside it's full of dead bones. And then secondly, don't miss the point. It says, and his disciples heard it. So he's going to teach something about it. He's using this tree as an example to show to his disciples something later down the road. And we're going to see about that. That's what we're going to pick up. So Jesus is now headed to Jerusalem. So our main point we see in this first section is that hypocrisy, it always keeps company with self-deception. That's absolutely true. People who are hypocrites are actually in many ways not just fooling others. You're fooling yourself. This tree was fooling everybody. Looking like it had fruit when it was fruitless. God wants yours and my life to be fruitful Christians. Meaning, if you're going to come to church, you're going to have a devotional life, you're going to have a prayer life, you should expect to see God to use you. You, could, you should expect to see the Lord work through you. You should expect to have a prayer life where God is, is working in your life. There should, a Christian life is a fruitful life. You pray for someone for a healing as they're recovering from knee replacement surgery. You expect the Lord to heal them, to bring them through, to strengthen them. There's an expectation of fruit that should come from your prayer life. That's what Jesus is saying here. So then he goes on. He's going to church now. We don't typically go to church like this, but he got rid of He came to church and tore by a leaf. He came to Jerusalem. He went into the temple. This is a way to really make a statement when you go to church. This is how you get church security on you. And he began, he walks in, and what does he do? He starts throwing out those who are buying and selling and overturning the temp tables and the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. What's going on here in this passage? Jesus knew the temple was a place three times a year 
They were, the Jewish men were expected, there were three festivals. We're studying this on Wednesday night, Bible time. The first was Passover, the second was Pentecost, and the third was, it was actually just a week or so ago, is what we would call the, the festival of shelters. It was when the harvest season would end. And Jewish men, three times a year, were expected to travel to Jerusalem to appear before the Lord at the temple. The temple was only located in Jerusalem. Say, so what's a synagogue? Synagogues are outside in, in the area of Israel, a little town. So this would, like I've shared, this here would be a synagogue. You would travel to maybe Jerusalem to go to the temple. So he is at this Passover time. So there's lots of folks there in Jerusalem. They've made their Passover annual pilgrimage. And they are expected to purchase an, like a dove, an animal, and you would pre- present it as an atonement, as a sacrifice before the Lord at the temple. So obviously, if you sold birds or you sold animals, when would you want to be selling your animal? It would be at Passover time. It would be at the time where everybody's coming. You go, if you're a business person, have you ever noticed, I mean, you go, like, get off the interstate, there's 15 fast food restaurants right there, but then you drive half a mile down the road and you're in open country. You think, why don't, they put a, why don't they put a store out here where no other stores are? No, you go where the people are. If you want to you compete against people who are hungry, you build your business right next to other places because you know that's where hungry people go. You go where the interstate stop is. Well, obviously, they knew this. The business people knew if everybody's going to have to buy a dove, where are they going to buy them at? At the temple. So let's set up our shop and sell them. What was going on is instead of the place becoming a place of you know, poor folks coming in town with very meager money, purchasing their sacrifice, they were price gouging. They were being taken advantage of. It was becoming a place of this, this dove's a dollar, this one's 50% off, it's only 50 cents. Why shop with him when you can shop here? And that was not what the purpose, obviously, of the sacrifice was. So Jesus goes to church and he thought, uh-uh, uh-uh. This is not what church is supposed to be. So he literally makes a giant mess. And he threw out these people. Folks, he had a zeal for worship. It was being distracted. Think about us today. How could this apply today? What would be distractions of worship today? Do you know when you come to church, we are to sing, we are to pray, we give our offering, we read God's word, we respond to God? That's a worship service. We have an audience of one. The Lord is who we're here to worship. He's who gets all the glory. We're not here for anything else but God. And we, we, we experience the Lord here on the Lord's day with Him. But if you come to church and all of a sudden it's other things, games, playing on your phone, talking to friends, gossip, being distracted, just other conversations, side issues over here, 
you're robbing the Lord of worship. And these things in our mind, they might not be necessarily bad. Because I'm sure those people selling those doves, in their mind, they're doing a good deed. I mean, after all, you've got to buy your animal, and I'm just providing you a service. But what was occurring is it was so much of a distraction. It was about the best deal and the best bargain on your animal, your sacrifice, and the Lord's worship was being robbed. And we do this too. You can go to church and you can just have it be in what I call evaluation mode. Some of you are church, church shopping. Literally, you're going from church to church, just evaluating different preachers, evaluating different music ministers, evaluating style, what, what, how, whatever the evaluation tool you use is. You have a checklist. You could go down it. And God is, the Lord is saying, no, what are you doing? That's not worship. That is not why people go to church. And look, here's why he's going to tell us. In verse 16 it says, He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. I mean, they were bringing the whole house, the household furniture, just, just trucking along. I mean, if I'm going to sell, look at, if I'm going to sell my doves, why not set up a temple and start selling my jewelry and some furniture? I mean, boys and girls could sell their baseball cards. I mean, you just, you just go around and, you know, eliminate stands, you just keep on going. We can make this a flea market. And Jesus is saying, church is not a garage sale. This is not, this is not my father's house. He says here, he was teaching them, is it not written? Now he's quoting scripture. My house. Look at that word, my house. Look how Jesus viewed church. This isn't, oh, that church I go to over there. Oh, the church on Harrisburg Road. No, he called it my house. This is God. He recognized church, the temple, was the place where he receives his worship. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. All people come here to worship the Lord. People from Cameroon, people from Mexico, people from America. They come into God's house to worship the Lord. It is called a house of prayer. Prayer is central. You're praying to God. But he says, look at this. He doesn't go there. But you have made it a den of thieves. Or your King James Bible says, a den of robbers. You're robbing the worship of God. And we want to make sure in our lives, when you step foot into God's house, there is a sacred holiness of this place. We do not rob worship of the Lord. That's why online folks are watching. That's why it's so important to gather in person. You put your mask on. Don't touch other people. You can come to church and be safe. We invite you to be here. These people are meeting in person. They're worshiping, gathering together, meeting with Him, meeting with the Lord. The chief priests and the scribes, they heard it. They started looking for a way to kill Him. <laughs> That's the way you get rid of folks. Let's kill the man, for they were afraid of Him because the whole crowd was astonished by His teaching. He says, this is no more longer flea market, yard sale church. We're getting rid of these people. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. So Jesus would go teach in the city, run everybody out of church, 
The religious leaders are looking to kill the man, but God, Jesus, is focusing on the worship and prayer of his Father. He was purifying worship. So much in our lives, Christian worship has been corrupted. Church is a focus solely on the Word of God or on God through the Word of God. We come to worship the Lord by the Bible. We come here and we know the God of this book. He is, he is our attention and focus on. This is why it's so important in a church service that you attend a church, that you belong to a church, that you have family members that actually go to church that teach this book. I can't stress this enough. Many churches do not believe in the authority of this book right here. They do not teach this. It has been corrupted. They teach something else. They teach a more modern, a more contemporary message. They've updated it for today's times. And God, Jesus, is bringing us back to biblical worship based on Scripture. Worship of the Lord doesn't change with whatever times and whatever is popular and cool. Worship of the Lord is saying, my house, folks, it's a house of prayer. It's all about the Lord. You need to quit robbing my Father of the worship that only He should get credit for. Keep going here in your Bible. The fig tree is coming back. It's making a comeback. Early the next morning, Jesus gets up. He's getting very close to getting arrested and crucified. As they were passing by us with His disciples, they saw... The fig tree withered from the roots of that poor tree. It didn't have a chance. Not only did the leaves dry up, the roots even died. I mean, when Jesus kills a tree, it's better than Roundup. This tree died. You know, the problem with Roundup, I use Roundup, and you all know this, when you spray it on something, it only kills or kills that one piece of grass. The, the weed next to it is still alive. But when it hits... It's dead. So the next day, the one next to it just moves right over, just grows a little more, and just takes over the dead stuff. It's like, it doesn't ultimately solve the problem. Jesus, His words, when He says, you are going to be a barren tree, you're going to be totally fruitless and withered away from the roots up, it died. God's Word says here, they were, they were passing by, and they saw this fig tree. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! Rabbi means teacher. Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. Look at this breaking news right here. You spoke to the tree, and the tree died. This reminds us that even Jesus has authority and power over nature. God's, God's mighty hand even controls everything around us. He created trees. He could kill the tree. The tree had leaves, but no fruit. Nothing but leaves, the Bible says. And look what Jesus... Jesus is using this example to teach us about prayer. He's using a dead tree to sh show the disciples, guys, this isn't really about a tree. I want to show you the power that I have when you ask. This morning, I want you to take this away. You also can do anything when you ask God. 
the impossible. We all know that when we go and we speak to a tree that, or a weed in our backyard and we tell it, little weed, little tree, I don't want you anymore, die, you're cursed. It won't do that. But for Jesus, it does. And he's telling us we have the access to that same power in our prayer life. This is why prayer is so important. Look here, folks. Look at this. Jesus replied to Peter, Son, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, so remember, Jerusalem's a real mountainous area, a lot of big hills. Anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe you've received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you from your wrongdoing. Now, how do we understand this passage? Jesus just told you and I, right here in 2021, we can go speak to a mountain and it will move. Jesus is telling us there is power in his name. That if we ask God to do something that we physically cannot do, that's overwhelming in our life, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a problem, whether it's a relationship issue, He says, you come and ask. And He says, you ask and you don't need to doubt. There should be no doubt. So the first condition is, He's saying, you need to believe without doubt. And that phrase there in verse 20, 24, 23, you who and does not doubt, be lifted up and throws and does not doubt in his heart, but believe. The word doubt means, Jesus, I believe you, but not really. And God is looking for us to have a type of faith with no doubt. You know, we believe God without doubt that when you are saved, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you are going to heaven. You will breathe your last here on earth, and then your first breath, your next breath, will then be in heaven. There's no doubt. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are saved. You are sealed. You are His, the Bible says. And we don't, we don't approach death with this sense of doubt. We should not fear death. In many ways, death is a gift. So why is it a gift? It's a gift because we are going to heaven. Earth brings death. Sin is where we die to. As much as we love our earth, we love America, this is an evil and wicked place. Yesterday, the 20th year of 9-11, is a remembrance of the evilness that exists here in the world. Many thousands of folks died. Lots of loss from that. COVID is also a remembrance of the death and the evil in this world. Disease brings death. When you die as a believer, the Bible says you are alive with Christ. It's a gift. You're going to be home in, in your heavenly home with Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we're sad when someone dies, but we have a confidence that they are in an eternal home with God. 
And Jesus is telling us, in your prayer life, that same confidence you have of how I saved you with my death and resurrection, you need to have that in your prayer life. You says you go and you believe and you don't doubt and it will be done. You've got to ask. Jesus is saying, ask me. I'm here. I'm available. Broadway Baptist, do you want to experience revival? Do you want to see healing? Do you have a need? Is there a financial need? Is there spiritual needs in your life? Do you know someone dying of cancer? Ask. Just ask me. That's what he's telling us to do. Quit doubting and believe. He moves the seemingly impossible. Remember when Mary found out she was expecting to have a baby and she was a virgin. She had never had sexual relations. And she's talking to an angel, Angel Gabriel. And she's like, Mr. Angel, how on earth am I going to have a baby? I've never had relations before. What an angel says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let me say that again. What is impossible with man? I mean, you, you look at this and says, I can't do it. But with God, it's absolutely more than possible. We hang to that Bible verse. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Luke 1.37 Second condition here for our prayer life that moves mountains. It says you need to obviously believe, but not only that, he throws in, Jesus reminds us, the importance of forgiving one another. Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We stand forgiven. We do not hold grudges. We should not hold previous forgiven sins of the past against our fellow believer, against anyone. Verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, meaning when you come to God and you're praying, if you have anything against anyone, meaning if you're holding the spirit of unforgiveness in your life, if you refuse to forgive your family member, co-worker, pastor, whoever, if you will not forgive them, that will hinder your prayer life. The spirit of unforgiveness, it is so dangerous in us. Spiritually, it kills your prayer life. Many of you, you might not have your prayers being answered today because you refuse to forgive someone that's hurt you. You won't do it. You're not going to see miracles. And Jesus is saying, you're going to come. Before you come and, and ask, you go first, ask for forgiveness with Him. Then after you've asked for forgiveness and you believe I could do it, come to me. Just come, ask. No doubt. Trust that I can do it. We have a great God. Do you know many folks, 20 years ago, yesterday, was obviously 9-11, and when that occurred, many folks were on TV and they were all over the news saying, why would God allow this to happen? That was such a common question. Why would God allow these innocent people, these folks who just going about their lives, perish in a terrorist attack? And I think the real question, and what that does is almost we fault God when we ask. When we go to God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? We have it backwards. Totally backwards. So that, that question is wrong off the, off the start. 
The question should be, God, why are you allowing me, the wicked, the sinful, to continue without judgment? How can we, how can a lost person continue to live their life without facing the judgment of God? By God's grace, He's allowing us. The sun rises on the saved and the unsaved, the Bible says. Even when it rains, the rain falls on, on the ungodly, the unrighteous. So God, why would you, why am I experiencing your favor when I'm such a sinful man? The problem's not God. Folks, the problem's us. That's what Jesus is teaching us. God is a good God. God permits evil to happen in the world. It happens every day all around us. To remind us that He is God. God can allow evil to happen to bring us closer to God. To force us to pray to Him. To cry and call out to Him. And it also reminds us that one day we will be judged for the wickedness, not just around us, but even for our own hearts. And the Lord speaking to us about this passage in prayer. Going back to that fig tree, it says he found nothing but leaves. Folks, is that you? Are you nothing but leaves? That's hypocrisy. On the outside, you give the appearance that you're going to you're going to produce a fruit. But inside, you have unforgiveness. You're filled with doubt. And not only that, you don't even believe the Lord. You don't even think God can do it to begin with. The Lord is looking for us in our prayer life. Not just us in Jerusalem, even the church family. Even church family, church community here in our city in Lexington. To say, I believe God. Lord, I'm going to quit doubting. I'm going to quit just looking like I have leaves. And I'm going to start producing fruit and asking of the Lord. He's asking you this morning. Will you be a believer that comes to God and ask? Just ask. That should be your prayer life. You experience God, you bring it to God, and you ask Him to do it. I tell you this morning, I'm going to ask you to respond to the gospel. God calls us to respond to Him. There's a great movement of the Lord going on. We might not see it, but God is absolutely working. We're praying, we're anticipating, we're calling and crying out to God for Him to save lost sinners. God uses 20-year anniversaries of 9-11 with a great purpose of seeing folks reminded it could happen again, and that could have been me. It might be 9-11 20 years ago, but what if that was us? What if that was you at UK's football game last night with 67,000 fans in the stadium? We at any moment need to be prepared to meet our Maker. And we, don't want, we want to be able to give an account saying, Lord, I was fruitful. I didn't have a life of nothing but leaves. So I'm going to invite you to stand together. And if you need to get saved, if you need to respond to God, I want you to come forward at this time. Brother Hurd and I are going to be down here waiting for you. This is your time. You can join our church. 
You can come down here and we'll pray for you. Or most importantly, you can give your heart and your life to Jesus this morning. I'm just going to be standing down here waiting for you to respond. David's going to lead us in a song.